Welcome to the future of gaming. The FogDAO is a group of builders and investors bringing you the best content on how new technologies can be used to make better games. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Future of Gaming. As you may have already noticed, this is not going to be uh, the typical uh, one of our weekly podcast conversations. First off, I am not Nico Verike, and there was no smooth Belgian GM friends to to start off this episode. Um, I am Philip Collins. I'm an investor at Convoy and one of the usual members of this podcast. And today I'm, I'm really excited to be joined by a special guest. Uh, he's a good friend and honestly one of the people that I, I most respect across the entire Web3 gaming world, and that is Mr. Bored Elon. Uh, I would call him a, a legendary Web3 Twitter personality. Um, yes, board for you, I will use the word legendary. Um, and also the co-founder of a really cool blockchain gaming company called Boardbox that I'll also let him give a little bit more context for in a second. But yeah, board, thanks a lot for joining me today. Uh, really excited to have you. And yeah, to kick off, if you'd be willing to give a, a little bit of a, a background on yourself, you know, your experience in gaming and an introduction to the concept of Boardbox, that'd be awesome. Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, I don't speak Flemish or have any sort of uh, factoids about uh, Belgium, so we're we're going to have to make up for the lack of of that <laughs> in this episode. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I currently go by just bored. Uh, I've I've spent the last nine years cultivating this uh, this identity called Bored Elon Musk, mostly on Twitter. Um, really, just you know, focused on sort of being a fork of the real Elon Musk and and a satirical look at like what he would do in his downtime. Um, pretty one dimensional at its, at its, you know, sort of origin. Um, but in the last few years, I've really kind of evolved, uh, board this, 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 you know, weird, uh, sort of, uh, public identity that I've created, um, to be a bit more, uh, rooted in sort of the real person behind, behind the, the face, behind the green face and behind the, the, uh, the Twitter personality. Um, and it's a reflection of, you know, sort of my, my real world background and, uh, a lot of that is in gaming, um, you know, in addition to uh, this, uh, what, what used to be sort of a side project with Bordy Elon Musk. Um, I spent quite a bit of time in the in the video games industry uh, over 10 years. A lot of that time was spent working for a really beloved uh, Japanese gaming publisher, spent plenty of time in the hallways of, of E3 and the Game Awards and uh, helped launch a lot of uh, storied franchises. And so I learned a lot about the mechanics of the gaming industry what it takes to build a game, what it takes to, you know, to publish it, to bring it to market, to keep people coming back to it. Uh, and it's always been a passion of mine. So not only, you know, do I love playing games, I love the business of games. In fact, I probably love the business of games more than I play games. Uh, it, unfortunately, right? Because, you know, you grow up and you have less time. And I, I try yeah. to put in at least an hour a day of gaming, but it gets harder and harder with, you know, responsibilities and all that stuff you have to do. So, um, so that, that sort of led me to the present, which is, uh, board box. So I wanted to take kind of, you know, board Elon's interests, which, uh, often align with blockchain and new technology and my professional experience in gaming and, uh, and find an intersection. And so, uh, board box is, is many things, but, but put simply, uh, it's, a, it's a tool to curate the best blockchain games. It's to help people discover and identify games that allow them to own the digital assets inside those games. And so for those who maybe are less, you know, familiar with this idea of Web3 games or blockchain games, put really simply, you know, when you when you get skins in a game, weapons, characters, 
uh, all these things in sort of traditional games. You you usually pay for them or you win them, and ultimately you can use them in those games, but um, they're not really your property, right? Like the game studio kind of lets you use them while you're in their game and while you're subscribing mm -hmm. to the game, but they're not really yours the same way you own stuff in real life. And so the future of video games um, is you're playing games and you can buy and sell goods and trade them and accumulate value. Um, and it kind of goes back to the way video games used to be, which is you would get physical cartridges, right? Or CDs. And like you owned that game that was yours to do with what you would wanted to. And it's kind of going back to that world. And so the point of board box is to introduce people to games that are, are going down that route, which is giving players more autonomy over their physical assets. And so we launched late 2021 and we've dropped a few boxes, which included uh, partnerships with with various game studios, which are either uh, in the process of releasing games or already have released games. Um, and uh, we're very excited about where it's going. Um, you know, I, I don't want to overcomplicate it, but, um, you know, we're one of the few voices right now, basically, in the blockchain gaming space. And so we've been really excited to educate people on the value of digital asset ownership in games and, and more importantly, just introduce people to great games they should play. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's great overview. Thanks, Borden. Um, I, I do have to start off by asking you, and I know you're probably tired of this question, but given the, the current antics happening at Twitter and, you know, your name was the origin uh, for Elon Musk, uh, you got your claim to fame really through Twitter. How is all that chaos impacting you and your brand and your engagement right now? And, you know, what, how, how's the platform really changing for you? Well, I never in a million years when I created this account thought that the, the, the person that I was parodying would eventually own the platform. I mean, that's just a wild series of events that took place. Yeah. Um, I think net positive mostly, uh, in a couple of ways. So for me personally, um, I think it's upside, right? Because I think the problem with, uh, Twitter before was that it didn't really like parody. Uh, it, you know, their, their algorithm was not really tuned for it. Uh, and I think once Elon started bashing Twitter, uh, it really harmed me personally and my brand with uh, Twitter employees. So uh, <laughs> behind the scenes, not sure it was super good for me. Um, mm. I think it's interesting that uh, thus far, since the Elon takeover in um, you know late October, early November, my engagement rate, my views, all of my metrics have basically doubled. So that's good so far. Uh, that could be because whatever was like kind of pushing me down is now gone. Or it's just because Elon's doing a lot of wild stuff and, you know, overall engagement on the platform is, is higher. We'll, we'll see over the long term. But for, for, the, for the micro, for me personally, I think it's great. I mean, I, I am now sort of, you know, connected to this person who is the most positive mm -hmm. individual on Twitter and uh, everyone on Twitter knows him. So there's a little bit of a positive halo for me. On the yeah. macro, I think for the platform itself, it's, it's, either going to be really great or really terrible. You know, basically <laughs> like this is, a, he's just running a lot of experiments. He's moving fast and breaking things. And some of it I like, some of it I don't like, but I did, I did start to feel like Twitter was becoming a stagnant platform that it was being beaten by, um, you know, by discord and by TikTok and all these other social tools. And it had so much potential. Like I, I truly think Twitter could be the most used like social platform in the world, in the universe, like just like the intergalactic hive mind. And if, if someone's going to be able to make that happen, it's probably him. And the biggest problem is he's just too busy doing, you know, other stuff that's pretty important too. Um, yeah. and so my hope is that he like comes in for the first 90 days, 
uh, establishes a lot of great, you know, ideas and processes and, and whatnot. And then basically bring somebody in who actually has the capacity to like operationalize all of this for the long term. That's that's mm -hmm. the ideal. I'm not raising my hand to do that. That sounds like a horrible <laughs> job. Um, but that's that's my hope. Uh, I, I I obviously am very invested in Twitter. That's where most of my distribution is. So I would like to see it mm -hmm. thrive. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt um, that he's going to be able to to pull it off and hopefully, you know, make back some of that forty four billion dollars he spent on this very shiny toy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it's funny because I feel like having anything positive to say around it right now is a pretty controversial opinion, um, for better <laughs> or worse. I think I'm I'm fully in the wait and see camp where, yes, it seems like there's a lot of fires happening across the company right now, but um, you know, kind of who knows what's going to happen here. And I, I I can't have too strong of an opinion yet. I guess I'm cautiously optimistic he will figure it out. And you know, I think I saw today he's going to be spending less time as as this goes on uh, on Twitter yeah. and and bringing on other professional support. So. It seems like chaos right now, but you know, Twitter's been core to the core to the NFT ecosystem for the last several years. So um, it's important that that this continues to to evolve in, in in some way that's hopefully good for the entire space. But time will tell if if that's the case. But yeah, no, it's a crazy coincidence for you personally. So I had to had to kick off with that question. And honestly, I was personally uh, curious to hear what had, what had been happening over the last couple of weeks there as well. Um, you know, moving back towards the, the Web3 gaming conversation that you that you kicked off with your background, I think earlier this year, you wrote a really good piece around what makes a blockchain game, quote unquote, fun. And fun is a word that's being thrown out often in, in the blockchain gaming world, because all we hear is no games out there are fun. I would love to hear you kind of walk through your high level perspective on that piece and, you know, what what you think of the, the current landscape of, of blockchain games in the context of that. You know, it's funny, Philip, is it just dawned on me that I published that article on an FTX uh, research website. Yep. And, it's uh, no longer available. I tried no to get back to available. it. I went back to your Man, medium because it wasn't there anymore. That is funny. Oh, I, I literally didn't think of that until just until you brought it up. Um, yep. Well, luckily, I, I republished it on my own platform. I think it was Substack because uh, it was a 4,000 word article and I'd like mm -hmm. it to exist. Um but yeah, you know, basically, I think that um, the, the the premise of it is sort of establishing what does fun mean. And yes, fun is a subjective term. It means different things to different people. Uh, people who are, you know, mathematically inclined could have a lot of fun with an Excel spreadsheet and, and turn that into a game if they wanted to. Uh, others need the more traditional gaming experience. Um, but the point of the article overall, that like what I wanted to get across was how do you use blockchain to enhance video games, right? Because if you're just building video games the same way as they've built and built for the last, you know, 30, 40 years, and mm -hmm. you're just slapping blockchain on them, that's fine. It, it does address sort of the ownership issue and give you some opportunities to, you know, let people decouple game assets from like the games themselves. But mm -hmm. it doesn't really make the game more fun. And so the, the article was kind of an exploration of like, how do you use this technology uh, apart from it just enabling people to trade, but how do you use it to actually enhance the game? And so I won't go through all the examples, but like a few that come to mind would be uh, this idea of like, you know, DAOs owning game characters. So like if you imagine Super Smash Brothers, there's a highly competitive, uh, you know, community around like Smash, Smash Bros tournaments. If you had a game that enabled people to, you know, basically own the IP of a particular character and like, have like a bunch of people, like a thousand or 10,000 people 
be a team owner for a character in a game like Smash Brothers the same way you would own like a soccer team or a basketball team. That's really cool, right? It's bringing ownership to the masses and letting you have a slice of a really interesting thing. Um, the other is, um, you know, increasing stakes. Uh, again, going back to competitive play, like imagine a game like Rocket, Rocket League or Fortnite where, you know, you're playing against somebody and to make it less like gambling, you're not wagering money, but you are wagering really cool stuff, right? It's like, we're going to race these two cars and whoever wins, uh, the, the winner gets to keep the other person's car. And that car was a really unique skin that was super special and rare. And it just makes it more fun to watch for the audience as well. So I, I think that like thinking about that and really selling those points is, was, is what is important. And I think a lot of games so far in the kind of uh, the Web3 space have not done enough to highlight why blockchain is actually making the game better. Because if it isn't doing that, you know, the traditional gamer is just going to be like, well, I'm going to go boot up a PlayStation 5 or an Xbox and go play my games there. Why do I need all these complicated like crypto things involved? Um, so that's that's the opportunity. And, and that was the point of, of the article was to just kind of like speak to developers, honestly, and to game publishers that are trying to enable blockchain and make sure that they are uh, doing right by like core game gamers and traditional gamers and like speaking to them about the gameplay mechanics and how those are enhanced and less about the uh, the monetary sort of financialization of the games. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that became particularly important over the course of the last 12 months when so many games were just tacking on blockchain or blockchain capabilities onto a really simple core loop and saying, hey, we're a blockchain game, come play us. Um, and given given everyone is now throwing around the the notion of, is it fun? It's helpful to have a some kind of framework for fun versus just having it be a very subjective and, and open-ended um, conversation. So I think that was, that was a, a really a really great article that I always really enjoyed. Do you think that the the notion of tradeability and in-game economies alone is enough for for Web3 gaming to really succeed? Or do you think that the first wave of of successful games, you know, quote unquote successful games in the space will have some kind of game loop or mechanic altering um, use case for for blockchain itself? Yeah, I think uh, my perhaps spicy take is that just trading alone is is not enough because you have this issue where trading in itself is a game that a lot of people play. Like mm -hmm. everybody on Wall Street is playing a game essentially, which is how do I maximize my yield, my percentages, like my my uh, you know my my trading. And so if that's the game you're playing, it's a distraction from what is traditionally considered a game. Um, mm -hmm. And so is that who your core customer is going to be? Probably not. And then the problem becomes like as soon as they can do this on another in another game and maximize their profits somewhere else they will do it and so i don't think the first few like mega hits in the blockchain space are going to be focused on trading that might be an element of it but it's going to be something else which i think is going to come down to more of like status signaling so right now in mm -hmm. video games status signaling comes from like i'm the top ranked player uh i made x amount of money in tournaments um, I did, you know, I beat this game in 10 seconds or in hundred mm -hmm. seconds and I posted it, uh, to Reddit, uh, whatever. It's like, this is how cool I am. It's not about money. I, I think that blockchain will enable people to verify that they are in fact as cool as they say they are. And then also just again, increase the stakes so that it's less about like cash and it's more about like cool, rare stuff in video games. Um, I think that's the mm -hmm. way it's going to go. Yeah. The, the trading will happen though. I think that's a natural part of it. I just don't like the idea of that being the core reason people 
hang out and, you know, put their effort or their, their attention into uh, blockchain games. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely agree. And I think that's why the, the notion of fun in video games, I think will continue to stay exactly as it's been before blockchain ever came on the scene. And I mean, people like games for their own reasons. People are attracted to genres for their own reasons. And there's, there's a, uh, there's a reason that games like Call of Duty can have 19 iterations and make a billion dollars in 10 days. <laughs> yeah. um, and people will continue to play titles that they like. And I think there's ways to supplement monetization through the tradability of assets and, you know, have more of like a Counter-Strike-esque model, even though the, the funds get locked up in that ecosystem and so aren't a perfect comp for, for Web3. But I think, yeah, the, the core driver to games, I, I agree, is, is not going to be the, the tradability itself. And so that's the standard these teams will be measured against. And I mean, at the end of the day, I think we're still, we're still early on in the cycle of really great teams coming into this space. And a lot of the games that, that we talk about and know and love and turn into franchises and, and famous IPs are, you know, several years of development. And a lot of the teams that came on the scene joined within the last 12 months. So yeah. I think there's a lot of, a lot of cool stuff in the pipeline, but I agree. It's going to, it's going to take some time to, to get there and have tradability matter. I mean, that said, I, I'm pretty darn impressed about what I've seen already. I mean, you know, yeah. we both, you know, have, you know played in the world of investments and like we we see what's in development and i'm pretty bullish on 2023 i mean there's some games that i've seen mm -hmm. that are going to come out that are basically something you would see on a ps5 um it's it's pretty impressive what's being built so it, it will take long for the it will take longer for like the overall library of games that are blockchain enabled to you know go anywhere close to what you can find on on steam or you know um in the microsoft store but like yeah we're we're making pretty good progress. We're, we're, we're not just like, we're not just looking at like, you know, casual mobile games that take six months to produce. There's some serious right. like games that are being built with Unreal Engine 5 that, that look basically photorealistic and also you can own your stuff in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's also games that will, were, even if they were started a couple of years ago and they weren't necessarily designed to be built for Web3, a lot of those teams now have, have their attention turned this direction. And so you know, even if the, the game at the, the foundational level wasn't designed for Web3, there's still, still some cool game mechanics that can be added in leveraging the, the technology. So I agree. I think I'm bullish over the next couple of years and maybe 2023. I think I'm maybe a little bit more cautiously optimistic <laughs> about the next 12 months. Um, but I think long term, very excited for what's coming out and we'll, we'll see what happens in, in the next calendar year. I mean, um, you're, you're probably right. I'm just trying to manifest it into reality by saying it. So yeah. <laughs> uh, let's let you you be the pessimist, and I'll be the optimist. I'll I'll take I'll take that role. But I mean, regardless, ex excited to see what comes out, and I'm hopeful. I want it. I want it to succeed. So maybe I need to start speaking it into existence a little bit more as well. <laughs> um, you know, taking taking maybe the more pessimistic side. Uh, first discussion topic I really wanted to cover with you today was. You know, the big the big news that's happening right now, you know, we, we've started to see some of the, the first big players in the crypto space start to fall off. You know, BlockFi was one that was crumbling before it was very ironically bailed out by FTX, which is now in the process of, of quickly collapsing itself. And so I'm, I'm curious in, in your perspective, given the, the general public's trust in blockchain is already relatively low and you know, people's willingness to make the leap towards Web3 is has been relatively slow. Um, how, how do you think that blockchain gaming in particular will kind of bounce back or rebound from these prominent and public failures that we've been seeing? 
Mm. Well, it certainly has a lot of implications on the gaming market only because, um, you know, I, I ga the games that are being built are being built on, uh, on, you know, chains that basically are going through a lot of turmoil right now. Now, one could argue that the, the price of particular coins, uh, or, or tokens doesn't really matter. You know, the game, the game can still function, whether Ethereum is worth a thousand dollars or $10,000. Um, of course I would rather it be 10,000, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I I think that the problem, or let's let's rephrase that. I think the challenge uh, for all of us in this space is that a lot of this turmoil basically has just pushed away the the people who were curious, right? Like if you think about the mm -hmm. adoption curve, um, the 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 very early adopters were starting to buy in, and like I think we were on the cusp of like getting that early majority people who were like, okay, I like I like games. Um, you know, I, I like this idea of financial freedom, um, decentralization. Um, I'm willing to sort of dabble and try these things out in the, in the crypto space. I think those people might have been scared off now, and I think mm -hmm. they'll eventually come back. It's just that it's going to take an extra year or two or five years, unfortunately, for that to happen. So that's a bummer. Um, mm -hmm. I am biased, of course, but I do think that that blockchain gaming might be the vertical that wins a lot of people back like everyone who's maybe a scared of like putting their money you know into like DeFi or into centralized exchanges and kind of playing around in that world maybe they're maybe they're more open to gaming because that's something they're more familiar with um mm -hmm. so i'm hoping that that does sort of help onboard more people into crypto um i do think though that what we've seen with FTX and, and other uh, centralized uh, exchanges is is a really good reminder for game makers as well. Like, even if you're not acting as a, a financial institution or a bank or a lending platform, um, people have a lot of uh, emotional attachment to their video game items, right? Like when you think mm -hmm. about somebody who's been playing a, a Blizzard game and um, their Battle.net account gets like, you know, frozen and they've spent a thousand hours playing you know, StarCraft or World of Warcraft or whatever, that person goes like enrages, right? Online, mm -hmm. in real life, it's it's very, very uh, painful. And so imagine now how how much that would be multiplied if they've also invested not just time, but but money, or if they have accumulated stuff that is worth thousands of dollars. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the point of the point there is that don't be fast and loose with your customers' items, your tokens and, and, and their money. And then also, of course, look out for exploits because um, that's that's always a risk as well. So, yeah, everyone's getting a harsh reminder. I think there are a lot of people who have not been in crypto long enough who don't remember some of the things that I remember, like Mt. Gox and other issues that have happened along the way. And and they've they built a little bit too much trust uh, in mm. some of these like crypto institutions. And I think that this is going to be a reset for everybody to be a bit more mindful and and just raise the bar for, um, you know, for providers and like businesses to make sure that they are showing their potential customers or the customers that like, Hey, we got our stuff together. Your money is safe. Yeah. Your stuff is safe. Um, that's the optimistic view. The pessimistic view is that, yeah, I mean, this like broke the back of this industry and it may never recover. I don't think that's true, but some people do. Yeah, no, I think I agree with you there. And at, at the end of the day, things like FTX, it was more of a misuse of of a technology than a fundamental issue with with Web three or crypto. You know, mm -hmm. maybe there's been some some loopholes that have been abused since the fall of FTX that are 
that are raising questions around security. But at the end of the day, like the things causing the FTXs and the BlockFi's of the world to crash were human decisions around risk. Yep. And so I think, unfortunately, that's extrapolated onto the tech itself. Um, but, you know, the, the central banking system has, has exposures too to people being greedy and people being too high risk. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I agree. I think this is, a, this is an issue of trust versus a pure technological failure of any kind. And so I think that trust can be won. And, and I agree, gaming will be a great way to win that trust back over through great content that people want to play. And so um, I, I think this is a more of a stumbling block than like an existential crossroads for the, for the blockchain space, but it will slow down the, like you mentioned, the early majority's willingness yeah. to come into this space. I mean, like the upside here potentially is that it will actually accelerate the move for most people in crypto to self-custody their 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 digital assets, right? So instead of mm -hmm. trusting a third party, um, really understanding like how to have a wallet, how to protect it. Um, because uh, there were all these service providers that were trying to make it very easy for people to not have to worry mm -hmm. about it. Um, but we learned that's not a foolproof solution. And so I, I, I do hope that, you know, this does lead to people getting onboarded into things like MetaMask and how to use a Coinbase wallet and, you know, how to protect your seed phrase and, and do all these things. And yeah, maybe you're not going to earn 2% on your money anymore, but mm -hmm. I'd rather earn 0% and keep my money than 2% <laughs> on what doesn't exist anymore. Uh, yeah. And how do you view the, the future rollout of more centralized versus decentralized platforms within gaming as well? Because obviously the benefit of, of centralized is there's somebody to answer to uh, when something goes wrong. And whether that's, you know, the government or, or bankruptcy filings, wh whatever it is, you know, there's, there's somebody that you can go to and say, like, I have this issue. Um, what can you do about it? Like, how do I fix this? Whereas decentralized, the benefit is the full transparency that you get at the cost of kind of being at the mercy of, of your own capabilities. Um, within gaming at the beginning, it's always felt like centralized would, would be the spearhead and things may become more decentralized over time as people are comfortable. But, you know, with, with these centralized platforms having the issues that they're having, do you think that that changes the, the way that decentralization fits in with gaming down the road? I think that gaming is going to have a lot of centralization um, just because of the nature of how much control, you know, a game studio needs to have anyway. Um, it's not it's not like this pure financial instrument. Um, but I think that because of the focus of games, um, the companies that are running these things are, are they're not going to necessarily be incentivized to be fast and loose. They're not, you know, they're not lending your game assets out to other people to make more money. Um, right. Their biggest issue is exploits and cheating and that sort of stuff. So I, I'm on sort of the spectrum of I think that games will be a lot more centralized than, um, than DeFi is, uh, or that you know sort of financial focused uh, products are. Just because like if a game studio doesn't exist, then basically it doesn't matter. Like if you own the assets, they they need to have somewhere to actually exist, right? And so mm -hmm. if they're not, if a game is no longer being maintained then all you can do with those assets is just take them to another game where somebody maybe has said, okay, yeah, you can use these assets. But um, yeah, I, I think that for us to go from a market of a couple hundred thousand people who are playing blockchain games to hundreds of millions of people, you're going to have, you're going to need the likes of, you know, Sony and Epic and EA, like that scale of a business that basically says we can, we can open a ticket and we can help you with this customer mm -hmm. service problem. Um, and there will, of course, be, you know, 
games that are fully decentralized and that will attract the the super crypto nerds who who want it and that's <laughs> that's fine like i'll play those games too so it'll just be sort of a decision that you know each individual player needs to make um but ultimately the the masses will will lean towards a more centralized uh gaming experience yeah no definitely definitely agree on that front um maybe slightly shifting topics but not entirely um Going towards the just the the NFT world, I know you're an O and you're an OG in in NFTs. Do you think that what we saw in 2021 in the the market for things like PFPs is going to come back, or do you think that was an anomaly that just kind of proved out the the viability of digital assets as a whole, um, but will will not return in the same fashion as it did last year? I. You know, it, it's like when you when you try to do the 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 steel man, I guess, for this um, in in a down market, it's hard to say like, yeah, it's going to return. Yeah. Um, but I think you know, I think in like during the two thousand eight financial crisis, a lot of people never assumed that you know housing prices would go back up and that stocks would go back up and that mm -hmm. all these asset classes would be booming again. Um, but that did happen, right? And it it took you know it took over ten years, but it did happen. So. Um, there, there was definitely some like wild amounts of money that were being thrown around in, in 2021 for NFTs. Um, and I think part of that was because there was just like less stuff. There were less tokens going around. There were less, you know, things that could take your attention. As that mm -hmm. expands, um, naturally, I do think that like the individual cost of digital assets is probably going to go down. Um, but in terms of overall volume, are we going to, you know, reach 2021 levels? Yes, I absolutely think we will. Um, you know, humans have this tendency to, to, to gamble and to want to like, you know, buy low and sell high that has existed for thousands of years and it will continue to exist. Um, it just might take a little longer, but I don't know. I, part of me thinks that like, look how fast we went from 2021 to 2022, I think yeah. we could just as quickly, like within 12 months, go back to boom times. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. So my, 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 I guess my wrap up answer is I think that by the end of 2023, we will be pretty much in the same place volume wise as we were in 2021. That is my ultra yeah. bullish sort of mentality. Um, and I, and I do think it's absolutely feasible. Um, but, uh, most people who are, you know, practical, uh, investors should not expect that to be the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because I think personally, I do really uh, buy into the future importance of things like digital identity and you know your ability to flex and represent yourself in in certain ways and in, in the digital realm. You know, we spend a lot of our waking lives on the internet, and it is a it is a genuine piece of of who we are on a daily basis. And so I think that. The, the, the first case of the, you know, the apes and the crypto punks was just one way of doing that, of being part of something of, of showing off. And, you know, as, as gamers, we know that we love to show off in a digital realm, even when people have no idea who we are. Um, so I, I do think I, I buy into people spending, um, on, on their digital identities down the road. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure if it'll be the same way as it was last time where you just have these crazy outliers and there's almost like this niche market of, of high-end NFT trading. Um, maybe there will be, you know, those people are still out there, but it, it's, it feels easier to do that when uh, crypto prices are kind of up and to the right. <laughs> and it feels like everything's actually getting, um, you know, your, your prior purchases are actually getting a little cheaper because you're just making money back on, on what your, your, your other currencies that you have in your portfolio. But yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm generally 
generally optimistic as well. I think it'll manifest itself a little bit differently. Um, also, it's a, it's an interesting precursor to gaming assets and like luxury high-end gaming assets, right? Um, I think that's one of the things that tradability unlocks is, you know, rather than putting $25 on a Valorant skin, if you, if you let me buy, sell, and trade that, I'm, I'm now willing to spend $250 on it, $400, mm -hmm. whatever that is. So um, Yeah, and, and in that yeah. case, I don't know, it, it could potentially be a big shift of uh, value exchange, right? So like a mm -hmm. lot of money in video games today goes directly to the game publisher and then uh, yeah. indirectly to uh, advertisers and, you know, basically like things that onboard or, or you know, attract uh, new players. Um, you know, like Call of Duty alone, I've, I've read spends half a billion dollars a year on marketing and advertising to get people mm -hmm. to play uh, for free. Um, yep. if, if some of that money shifts to players themselves who are, you know, trading assets amongst themselves, um, I think that's fine. That doesn't necessarily mean new money was created. Uh, it just means it's going from one one party to another, uh, and and I'm okay with that scenario. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I feel like that's the the calculation that a lot of the big players are still trying to figure out is does it actually make sense for us to enable this value to be exchanged through people? Because you know the the total volume of trading can go up exponentially if it's going peer to peer, but the the residual that's still remaining in the hands of the content creators. Um, I feel like that's that's the struggle right now of can this actually make us more money or is it a better player experience that's going to give us a little bit of a discount on on our on our sales? Um, if I can't sell the same $20 skin a million times, um, like how, how do I offset that loss? Um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I look at what happened with the music industry and they tried to milk that that game for a very long time of like you can download this one song and pay 99 cents or buy a CD. But eventually, you know, streaming uh, services like Spotify, you know, basically, you know, pointed out that consumers want access to all this music. They're willing to spend mm -hmm. money on it, but they're not willing to spend as much money on it. So you're going to have to shift your business model and make, uh, you know, money in other ways, whether it's merchandise and concerts and all that stuff. And that's just what happened. And so, yeah, I mean, I think game publishers are going to have to get used to making money in different ways. I'd like to think to think that overall, in the long run, they will make more by enabling mm -hmm. you know players to have more of the value exchange, um, but that might not happen. And I I think that's okay. Like my my goal is to be the advocate for players, not for traditional game publishers who mm -hmm. you know often are just extracting value from from players and not really um, giving them enough entertainment back to justify the money that the, that the players are spending. Yeah. No, a, a phrase I used to use all the time, especially in the, the bull market of Web3, was talking about you know, evolving consumer expectations. And eventually, even if it isn't best for the publishers, it might be necessary for them to to meet the players where they are and, and what they expect from their gaming experience. And I think all it's going to take is a, a couple of popular titles to, to make people realize, oh, like that old model kind of sucks as, for me as a player. Um, and it like once once we got exposed to it, it was hard for me to to convince myself to buy traditional we like weapon skins and Valorant or like a league cosmetics or, you know, Call of Duty shop items because you know what those items are and you know how fleeting they are as soon as you walk away from that game. And yeah, it, it is a mental hurdle that comes into play. I mean, I remember when um, video games started to default to being digital downloads instead of like buying the game at, you know, Best Buy or GameStop and at first, a lot of people didn't like it. They, you know, they they felt like, okay, I'm spending 60 bucks. I want like the cover art. I want the, the nice thing to put on my shelf. Um, but then 
you know, what started to happen was like there was only a certain number of copies of the game available and you had to wait three weeks to get new new items. And you're like, you know, <laughs> I'll just download it. That's fine. Yeah. I don't own like this physical thing anymore, but this is really convenient and I'm going to do it. And so that and mm -hmm. that became the norm, right? Like no game publisher now is not going to release their game as a digital download. So, I mean, it took a t it took time, but it happened. And I think that very much the same way it'll happen with blockchain as well, where people will be like, okay. Yeah, there's some downsides. There's some upsides. Overall, I think I, this is something that we we should probably you know <laughs> invest our time into. Absolutely, yeah. And I think on the on the topic of of distribution, that's the last topic I really wanted to hit on with you because you know you're leading a Web three asset distribution company today, and I'm curious your thoughts on the future of of Web three game distribution. You know, we see a ton of pitches around the the Steam for Web three, for example, and and how digital downloads should be done for, for blockchain specific titles. What, what do you think about that? Do you think that web three games need their own distribution platform or do you think it'll all kind of blend together in the end? I mean, I certainly would love to see web three games distributed via, you know, the Epic store or, or steam. Mm -hmm. Um, it's starting to sort of happen in, in small cases. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that um, Web3 games do need uh, their own distribution platforms and not necessarily, you know, competing with like traditional game distribution um, uh, platforms uh, like Steam, but rather like competing against um, marketplaces, right? So when you think about NFTs and, and game items typically are NFTs, um, uh -huh. they're basically interwoven um, on places like OpenSea or Rarible um with art and collectibles all these different types of products and it's very very messy and the biggest problem is that it doesn't like none of those marketplaces do a very good job of selling the games they're a good mm -hmm. place to find the item for the lowest price if you already know you want it um mm -hmm. but it's not it's not good about discoverability it's almost like like amazon like yeah i mean amazon will try to like serve you up stuff you should buy but you kind of go to amazon already knowing what you want to buy and mm -hmm. so with boardbox i mean we're trying to focus more on signal versus noise, which is we're not trying to compete with Steam. We're not trying to compete with OpenSea. Um, mm -hmm. We're not going to show you everything. We're going to show you, you know, select items, kind of like a boutique store that you should potentially, you know, pay attention to and, and learn more about. And so it's it's definitely more of a premium product because of that, because you're you're trading your your money for time, right? We're doing some of that work for you. Um, but but overall. I, I definitely don't like the idea of blockchain game assets or digital assets for games being mixed together with everything else because it's just, it's not a good experience for the player. Like, I like the idea of a GameStop in real life because it's really focused on games. Like when you go to, yeah. when you go to find video games at like Target or Best Buy, you know, you're looking at stuff that's next to dryers and TVs and magazines. And it's kind of like, that's fine. This is like the section of the store, but it's not, it's not tuned for gaming. And so I think you need places where, where, where it's really highlighting, like, why is this game great? Why is it fun? Where can I learn more about it? And I'm not, I'm not being distracted by all the other products that have nothing to do with gaming that surround it. Yeah, that's interesting. I do feel like it'll evolve to that over time. I think one thing that's been cool about seeing games on the, the Epic Game Store, for example, is just titles like a grit being side by side with Rocket League. And, mm -hmm. and that, that, association of oh these are just video games and i can get them here just so i can get all my other video games from from a platform like this i think there's something powerful from a consumer psychology standpoint there but yeah no definitely hear you that at some point 
you'll need to have have some form of of tailored user experience for where you not only find games but also launch them and so maybe we will see one of these steam for web3 work um i think that you know hopefully over time i think my vision of the future and and hopefully one that aligns with yours given given the space we're both in is the the notion of blockchain gaming kind of fades away and and blockchain becomes a part of a, a tech stack for video games that people know and love and i think that's a great outcome and so um who knows maybe maybe the future of distribution platforms will be web3 because games are inherently web3 themselves or maybe they'll just exist side by side because no one knows the difference of if they're paying on on some kind of fiat platform or or buying an on on-chain asset uh, in a stable coin with a conversion that's happening in the back end that you never, yeah, never know I mean, or find out about. Abstract all of that away. I, I don't care, right? I just want to yeah. play my game as fast as possible. And, uh, you know, like people have been willing to overcome a lot of the technical requirements of games for a very long time. Um, if you, if you like told your friend, Hey, I want to play Starcraft and I, and like, I don't have battle.net. I don't have all this things set up on my computer. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a little bit of a, of a chore. Right. And so, but if it's a good enough game, you'll do it. And so it's, it's the same with the space that we're in. And yeah, like yeah. you, I, I'm very you know bullish on it. Uh, I think that on my end, I'm trying to be a patient educator and, um, you know, even when people are really skeptical or you know, just misinformed about the space. Uh, I try to show them the really simple upsides of, of digital asset ownership. And um, if they still hate what we're, you know, talking about, then that's okay. Maybe they'll come back in five years. I'll, I'll focus on people who are a little bit more open to it for now. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I, I do think you're, you're a great educator in the space. It's part of the reason I wanted to, to speak with you today. I think you do a lot of good work around you know, letting people know the what, what content is out there and, and curating it, and and also just being a, a good and and reasoned voice for for the future of Web three games. So, definitely appreciate you uh, you joining me here today. I think that's all the topics I wanted to talk about. Um, anything else from from your sideboard? No, I mean, thanks so much for having me. Always a great conversation. Uh, would love for anyone listening to check out uh, Boardbox, which is boardbox.io is our website. Lots of information there. And uh, I always encourage people like tweet at me at board Elon Musk on Twitter. If you have any questions about gaming in general, about board box, anything I'm working on, I'm pretty good about responding to people. So please do reach out. Awesome. No, appreciate you spending the time with me here, board. Always a great conversation uh, when we when we get together. Uh, listener, if you made it this far, thank you for joining us. Um, I personally really enjoyed the conversation. Um, but for for now, that that'll wrap us up here, and and we'll see you in the next one. So have a good one, board, and. We'll see the uh, we'll see the listeners next week.